podcast is presented by TechGC. If you want information about joining, look below. TechGC is the best. Chris Sands is an international man of mystery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Chris Sands, our producer, missed out today because he uh, had a mystery engagement, which I am sure involves beer and good times. Good for him. <laughs> I think he had to deliver a secret message to a secret location in Porto. Yeah, that's code talk for uh, get drunk and have fun. I support that shit 100%. Uh, all right. <laughs> Our conversation with Zarina Javed, the GC of Drift, is is coming up. When you mentioned Carbonara, I'll just tease that. You did mention Carbonara. It always makes me think of the Olive Garden and the commercials for the Olive Garden where they just, like, have a piece of chicken and, like, have pasta and it's just showered with cream sauce. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned chicken carbonara because of the office and and the episode. I think they do like a, I think it's like a five k or something. And Michael Scott is gonna run the five k, and like five minutes before the five k, he eats. You know, you're supposed to eat pasta before a run, but he eats it like five. He eats a chicken carbonara five minutes before this five k, and then. <laughs> <laughs> all fucking, all fucking hell breaks loose on his jog, you know. That's what I think. Of. Oh. Um, uh, but anyway, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't even That's know what great. chicken carbonara is. To be honest, it just seems hearty and full of cream. It's heavy, heavy duty stuff. <laughs> Talk about how you how did you get to the suburbs? You started as an opera singer, not a GC. So how did you go from opera singer to drifts GC to living in the suburbs, holding a schnauzer? <laughs> um. So yeah, I wanted to be an opera singer. I went to Boston Conservatory. Um, I had I got like a really great education there. I loved it. Like it was incredible. But um, you know, reality is very different from like four years of going to a conservatory. So like, you know, I got it. I needed to like pay my bills, support myself. So I got a job as a receptionist at a, at a um, software company. Um, and I just really, really didn't like it. Like I was very unhappy. Yeah. I was not good at it. I mean, people would tell you that I was like, I was good at like some parts of it, but I was not, I wasn't good at things like just making sure we had coffee cups or like coffee, like things like that. So like the engineers would get so upset. So what you're saying is you're a it, shit you know, receptionist. But I like, I smiled at everyone. I was very friendly. Um, they liked me, but um, I, and I just hated it. And, you know, it was expensive to pay for voice lessons and for vocal coaching and to like try to get gigs and just do all of that. Like, it just, to me, I very quickly was like, I have to do something to have like a more comfortable lifestyle. I can't do this. So I sort of just like took stock of the skills that I had and determined that like being a fast reader with a good memory was going to like help me like maximize my earnings the most. I took like an LSAT prep class, took the LSAT, applied to like all Boston schools, um, got into Suffolk. They gave me like a good like amount of like scholarship money, and I was just like, were your parents like, w- were your parents like, whatever, do do what you like, or were you just sort of like, I'm doing, I'm doing what I what I need to do. I was like, they were, they didn't want me to be music majors, and then when I was done, like, it's very um, 
uncommon like in their culture for girls to just like one to even like leave for like people go girls go to college but they kind of just like commute back and forth they go somewhere like close to home sort of like move across the country from illinois was that's not that's not your playbook yeah they kind of were like oh so you're gonna come back now and live at home right and just like pay off your student loan and i was like no so you know they were like okay you're on your own um like literally a guy from like verizon called me being like your father just called me to like turn off your phone plan so if you want to continue it like um come on yeah like they were serious i think they were hoping i would like give up and just go home like to be perfectly honest but yeah so i i had to like do something so i went to law school um at the time i was there i had switched receptionist jobs to a different one um at this company best doctors and they hired a GC like right as I was leaving. So he hired me while I was in law school as a legal intern. And I worked there like I did other internships and stuff. But I worked there like the whole time. They paid me really well. They're really nice to me. They let me do like a lot of different things. Um, and then after law school, I was thinking I would want to do like family law or something. But the economy was really bad. So they were like, just come like, you know, work for us as a legal admin while you find a job. And then there was like turnover in the legal department. I ended up just kind of like moving up the ranks there for like another four years. So I just, I got a lot of experience doing stuff that you wouldn't normally let like such a junior lawyer do because there was no one else to do it. Or I was kind of like a constant there. Um, Got to learn about like healthcare, like information, privacy, HIPAA, all of that. Um, it was a really big company with a ton of subs. So I got like a lot of experience with that too. Um, and then we spun off a big part of it. Like, you know, it got to like a more stable stage. It was like about 800 employees. And at that point I just like, I was like, I want to work somewhere cool where people wear jeans and like, they're, you know, like <laughs> I literally like exactly like data zoo where that's where I worked for Andy. So I, I actually started working like part-time at Data Zoo, part-time at Best Doctors, and then eventually like transitioned full-time to Data Zoo. Was there for like two and a half years. That's where Andy and I worked together. We implemented our whole GDPR compliance program during that time. Um, and then Andy left and shortly thereafter I got um the job at Drift. Can I can I give you like can I give you a quick so Pedro, I don't know if you've heard this, but I can give you a quick 30 seconds of what was happening at Data Zoo at that time while you were doing that. Like Zarina's brother-in-law, Nick, was a friend of mine, and he's like, she's interested in Data Zoo. Do you have anything? And I was like, man, I'm struggling to get to convince anyone to let me hire anybody. I'm underwater. We have so much work. And I was able to, the only thing I was able to sell was part-time. And I said to Nick, like, would she even do that? Like, like it's a part-time job. And he's like, I don't know. You never know. And so once we met. Um, you, you came over to data zoo. It was obvious that you would be a really good fit for us right away. And, uh, and then I made the case and like, I did not think you would do it because you know, like it's a part-time job, but I said to you at the time, I think like, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that this goes full time as fast as possible. And luckily, you know, not luckily you did it. You did that. Like that was just right away. It became apparent that, you know, we needed you. <laughs> so the, the rest is history. The rest yeah, is history. I was, honestly, I was so eager to get out and I had been looking for so long and Best Doctors was great for letting me stay for like the two days. So it worked out really yeah. well. And I actually use that as an example all the time to people like 
you know, a lot, I'm sure it happens to you too, where a lot of like law firm lawyers will talk to you and be like, how do I go in-house? What do I do? And I'm like, yeah, sometimes you have to take a risk and you have to take a pay cut or you have to let, like, you're not going to have a, like a seamless, like easy transition into this. You've got to like make some sacrifices if this is what you want. I took a pay you know, cut. It's funny, I, I'm really happy you it was, said that. It was worth it. Because, yeah, I'm really happy you said that last point about the risk part. You know, when I was at, at a law firm, um, I had a decent law firm, but it wasn't some, you know, Amlaw 10 law firm. Um and uh, I started thinking, man, in-house seems like the direction I want to go. This is like 2013-ish or maybe 12. Um, and uh, I just started sort of like poking my toe in the pool of in-house counsel jobs. And I remember I talked to a recruiter, a very prominent recruiter today in the privacy space, who I met for the first time back then, 2013, 2014. And we took a call. I remember I was in the parking garage of the building I lived in. And this recruiter basically said to me, you haven't worked at the right law firm. You didn't go to the right law school. You haven't been practicing long enough. Nobody in the Fortune uh, 100 is going to take you seriously. That, that, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but not by much. That was pretty close to what I was told. And in my mind, I thought, well, fuck this guy, first of all. <laughs> like, you know, I was like, you know, this is nonsense. And also, like, no, I don't agree. I don't think so. And within just a couple days of that conversation, Oracle pinged me and, and, and we started a conversation. And then obviously my career changed forever thanks to the opportunity I got there. Um, uh, and so like taking that risk really matters. I went out and I got rejected by so many companies in 2013 and 2014 until Oracle finally said, cool, let's take a chance on this guy. And I feel like I've worked out and been productive for several companies and it's worked out for me and it was the right plan. What's interesting about that story, too, is now on the back end of this, that same recruiter reaches out to me all the time to try to place people at my company um, and at previous companies that I've worked at. And I don't think they remember this conversation, but one day it's sitting right inside my pocket and I'm just going to bring it out because a lot of people won't believe <laughs> in what you want to do because they want to follow normal tracks because they're comfortable and, and, yes. you know, it doesn't cause disruption to sort of the norm. Like, screw that, man. I wanted to go in house and I wanted to go in house at a fortune 100 company. And that's exactly what I did. And if you're tenacious enough and patient and willing to take a lot of rejection and learn from that rejection to make yourself better, you're going to get it. It's that simple. I had a very similar, very similar conversation with the recruiter when I was leaving TD Ameritrade and he was like, what's your ultimate goal? I want to be GC. And he's like, if you want to be a GC, you have to go work at a big firm. Even though you've been five years at a big company, he's like, I'll connect you with blah, blah, blah firm. And you just go, go log some time there. Cause you're not gonna, it's not going to work out for you, you know? And, and he said it nicely and he wasn't, he wasn't a jerk about it. He was, and he was like, this is my opinion. And, uh, and I've stayed in touch with him and Pedro, we have, we've had like, you know, he hasn't like, you know, f admitted his, you know, that, that he was wrong or whatever, but he has said like, I'm really happy for what you've accomplished. And, and so there, there is that, you know, but I do think he was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so fun. I, people told me the same thing. They're like, you need that like big law firm experience, um, and now, like, no offense to any of those people. They're wonderful. They're brilliant. They do really complicated stuff that, like, I don't, you know, need to wrap my head around because I'm, like, paying them to do it. But, like, there's no replacement for, like, actually working somewhere and, like, knowing, like, how to find out where, like, all the bodies are buried or, like, 
you know, how, what relationships are like important or what mistakes are common or what things happen that you have to fix later that you should avoid. Like you don't learn that doing like a bunch of like M&A or writing like, you know, um, board resolutions for companies that you're never going to like spend a day at. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of transferable skills for people in law firms. And so I, I like, there's a balance of, of like somebody that's going to, you know, do really well in house, but yeah, there, there's no substitute for doing it at all. Uh, I don't think. Yeah. Sorry. I should have, yeah. of course, like people can make the transition and do really well with it, but like to say that it's a disqualifier, yeah, when it isn't even like actual experience in there is a little silly. It's, it's a bit much. Yeah, I don't think there are any. Well, so how like, hard was it? I don't think. Sorry, I was going to say I don't think there are any like career exploratory disqualifiers, and I keep hearing about these mythical things that like obviously if you're a dirtbag or you're a bad lawyer and things, those are going to disqualify you from things. That, that, like so, there's obvious disqualifiers like you sucking at things. Um, but this idea that like. You took a job like I've I've heard this before. Make sure whatever you do, you stay in your job for at least a year or two or else you're going to look like a navigator. Everybody's a navigator. Like everybody moves around. The most successful people I know in the most prestigious roles at the ends of their career didn't stay anywhere very long for the most part. Uh, they're constantly moving around. The example I always give is President Obama. Like he went from like community activist to president in like eight years like that there are a lot of jobs in between including senator like you know there's a lot of stuff you can do to make yourself interesting the idea of staying in places for long times just for its own sake if you're not learning or growing or getting better just makes no sense to me also the idea of staying in a job you hate for the optics of being there a year seems insane to me like that's actually not the type of person I want to hire, to be honest with you. Like, if the only reason you stayed in a job for so long is because you didn't want it to look bad on your resume, I kind of don't like you. I, I, I like, like, I don't think that that's like what principle is that other than like pleasing some weird like work norm that doesn't even exist in the first place. Not a fan of those types of things. And they're all over the place. These sorts of notions about what makes you marketable. Well, I can tell you what definitely doesn't make you marketable is like making decisions uh, about what to do based on just like pure optics and pure like sort of like how, how you're gonna land it. I can't stand stuff like that. Maybe I'm maybe I'm alone. I don't think so. No, you're definitely not alone. I think like whatever LinkedIn content I'm getting though is like very much the opposite of that. Like everything I see is just like be yourself. Like you know, nothing matters. <laughs> 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 everything's fine i think the pendulum is swinging a little like, but you know it, it, it's swinging on linkedin but i don't know that it's swinging at the workplace um because like you know like i see this with people That's of fair. color quite a bit which is like you join and you're a really interesting novelty for all the unique things right you're like a pet and then over time because of those unique things that make you excellent you become a threat and you watch this evolve in jobs all the time. I especially see it with women, right? Like strong, powerful woman, hire her. And then when she comes and she starts talking to men as the strong, powerful woman that she is, 
she gets flack for it. What does that even mean? Like, what mixed signal are we sending people, right? And so while I think some of the narrative on LinkedIn is exactly what you guys are saying, hey, yeah, be yourself, quit the job, don't do the thing, work from home, that all sounds good. But like what the trends that I see at work, and I don't mean just like my job, I mean like in general, what I hear from people about what they're experiencing in their jobs is not totally aligned with like that free form shit I'm seeing on LinkedIn, but maybe, you know, interested in what you guys think about that. I think that's accurate. I think there's a lot of like performative diversity out there. Um, And then, yeah, in practice, when you have to go out of your way for someone or, you you know, like they have to be accommodated in some way or they become an inconvenience for like even a short period of time, like that it really can like turn. Or they become excellent. And that's like they become really excellent and start challenging you all of a sudden. All of a sudden, this is a problematic employee. Well, like it's it's an excellent person. That's uh, that's hired. So I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully, it does continue to trend towards flexibility and opportunity and equality. I I think LinkedIn narratives are ahead of reality, though. Agreed. How did so, Zarina? You joined uh, Drift as like I think senior counsel, and you you know uh, right, just corporate corporate counsel. counsel. Yeah. So like. You, you you look at her tell her how far she climbed. Look at that. I love that. Yeah. Well, I'm just curious, right? Like I I'm curious about it. It's it's not it's not easy to do. So how did you you know, it took time, obviously, but how did you sway hearts and minds in that direction? Um, you know, it wasn't that hard. I mean it did it took time, which I think is fine. I I feel like I was ha- I was happy with how much time it took, but um the way we kind of started was just like we're drift. What they were like, we're not sure what we need. We know we need someone that can help us with exactly what we need right now. That person might be the person to be the GC one day, or they might not, and we might bring someone in over them. Like, so when I joined, that was like you know up in the air. But um, I don't know. You know, I came in with a pretty like focused plan, which was like get along with sales. And like enable sales, um, but like do it in a way that I could be happy about it and not feel like they were walking all over me or not feel like I had to like compromise anything that was important to me. So I, I came in, you know, I embedded myself with sales I made sure like all, we were covered like compliance wise um, and, you know, started getting to know everyone else too. And just, I just really focused on like being business friendly, being approachable and like knowing people and just earning everyone's trust. So I want to say like about six months in Jim and I, my boss, Jim and I had like a conversation he was like, we're not going to bring in anyone over you. Like six months. We're confident That's fa- that it's you. That's fast. Six months. I mean, six months in drift time is like, <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> like a lot happened in that six months. Um, and so, you know, we kind of made a plan together on like, here's areas where like, you're going to need to get more coaching or more, you know, just experience. So like, I spent a lot of time with our law firm, Latham and Watkins at the time, um, where John and Susan, John, Corey and Susan, Missouri, they would like, they do all of our like M&A and the corporate work or they did, um, before Vista, but they, you know, I would sit down with them. They'd walk me through like IPO readiness and different like 
corporate governance type things just to help me fill those gaps that I did not have because I didn't ever like work at a law firm. That That's why I say just pausing one second. That's why I say six months is short because so often companies struggle with like if if you're thinking about an IPO or you're thinking about that route, which which at the time you you certainly were like there's this tendency to be like, I got to have someone that's run a public company legal department before. And so like, I'm not even going to entertain someone that hasn't done that before. So that's why to me, six months is, was an interesting time, time period. I think also knowing like being realistic about you're going to use a law firm for that kind of stuff. And like, you need someone that like knows what they're doing to like guide it along and be responsive and do like the company side of it. But like, uh, your GC probably is not going to be the person in the weeds doing all of the like IPO work. No. And, and, you know, I think it's, it's more about the public company side of things, but I think that's the same logic applies to what you just said. Yeah. And like, we'll worry about that when we get, or, you know, at the time it was like, we'll worry about that when we get to it. But it was just, there's so much until then. How was like? Can we talk a little bit about like the drift tech yeah, because I'm 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 kind of like a fan. Um, and we, Zarina, you and I have talked about this before, but like with the proliferation of like, well, first of all, tell us what Drift does. So we are a digital experience platform. Um, <laughs> oh boy, I love that. <laughs> I love that. I mean, what do you, Aren't yes. we all? <laughs> <laughs> So our primary product that we're best known for is a chat bot. So it sits on the company's website um, and it, you know, pops up and engages website visitors. That's like the simplest version of it. But obviously it cookies them, it reads the IP address and it's, it gets different information from that little bit of like digging of data, which then helps you personalize the website visitors experience. So, you know, like if you visited it would, well, I mean, Andy's a customer, but if let's say Andy wasn't, it would pop up, it would maybe recognize the IP address was associated with Alice. And then it would give you a playbook saying, Hey, companies like Alice use Drift all the time. Want to hear more and kind of guide you through a couple of questions or like a conversation intended to like determine whether or not you're a good lead. Um, if you're a good lead, it forwards you on to someone on the sales team to continue the conversation and you can book a meeting right from there. Um, so the idea is to get someone at the time that they're the most engaged and want to talk to you versus having them fill out a form and you call them back later and maybe they're just like no longer in the mood or you know you miss them or whatever. And then from there, you can do all different kinds of things, but you get a lot of data about who's visiting your website yeah, you know and what's interesting you about conversations like, and it speeds up your sales cycle. What's interesting so to me do. about like, chat surfaces whether it's human to human or human to computer robot is how like under monetized these are um there's some like commercial like like b2b chatbot services like yours where you know it's obviously fulfilling sort of a like a sales intake function um i think we're going to see and we are seeing like a massive proliferation of like messaging surfaces monetization which is great i i, I just think it's like a green field for a lot of commercial activity and people love chatting um, and texting. What are your thoughts on like 
the nature of chatting with an A. Like in an ideal world, everyone like the okay. Let me start here. The premise of messaging is that two people are talking in an intimate space, right? Like me and Andy sending each other texts. That's what's happening. <laughs> the dynamic changes when it's me and a robot, right? Like when I'm talking the Delta Airlines bot about whatever or the Meta bot at work. Like it's just a different dynamic. It I think strips away some of the like really cool parts of messaging. How do we overcome that so that people not just like trust the bots, but like have the same types of organic conversations they're having with people at the scale necessary for the bots to like be valuable? How do we do that? It's a good question. I think part of it is that you really need to separate out when it makes sense to talk to a person versus a bot right? Because like the expectations are so different. If you are talking to a bot, you know, it's a bot, you have a very specific purpose for it, and you get your answer quickly, you're very happy with that bot interaction. Um, we, there are ways to build like way smarter, better, more conversational bots. Um, we obviously we have an AI product <laughs> where we do that. Um, so you, you know, you take all these conversation transcripts, and you can learn so much more, and you can map them and you do natural language processing on them. And you have actual, you know, humans going through like annotating the results of like, this was a good answer. This was a bad answer or whatever. So that your bot keeps learning and keeps getting smarter and better, like the more conversations that it has. But I don't know. I still don't think you want to trick anyone into thinking that the bot that they're talking to is a human. Yeah, for sure. That feels very. I don't know. I guess it just depends on like what's your end goal for the bot conversation. Usually, it's like for me, it's customer service, right? I want to know if I can return something, if where something is, like where I can find something, things like that. The better it is at at responding to what you're actually asking, I think it brings the comfort level, you know, down and shifting you into the next phase of the conversation i think if it's clear if you know and i don't know how the meta bot works that's the first time pedro i've ever heard you talk about the meta bot i didn't realize you have a a robot it's internal we use it internal it does a lot of stuff for us what does it do can you say yeah like what um like i can chat with it at work and like get status reports on like it requests get a it it reminds me of a bunch of shit it controls my away messages. It's sort of like an What's assistant name? in a way. It's What's really good. Name? I call it robot thing, but I'm sure it See, has a can name. Can you be like, know. robot, show me Mark's <laughs> calendar. Uh, that's not going to work. We have a bunch of bots. Like, I, I, I don't know if it's one big bot operating in different ways or a bunch of different ones. But look, let me just read you. We have balance bot. That one helps me with messaging and noise in my chat box and email. We have a out of office bot, which helps me figure out how to tell people I'm not here. We have the badging bot, which is like for badge stuff, like worky bad stuff. We have the remind me bot. We have the, uh, I mean, there's a hundred. There's, I'm looking at them right now. There's a whole bunch. And they all show up in my chat box and tell me all kinds of things. And they do help, but they're very much bots. Like they're not, I don't feel like I'm talking to Ted over in IT when I'm talking to the, you know, IT bot. Like that's not really the vibe. Yeah, I mean, yeah, in B2B, cool. you know, maybe that's your as you said, Pedro, the goals are different. I think um, you know, it's 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 everybody knows when they're engaging with a bot in a B2B context what their goals are. Like I'm either I either want a demo of this page that I'm on 
and I'm happy to give them my email and I'm happy that they recognized my IP address based on the data they got from X platform that has an IP graph. And then, you know, I'm, I'm off to the races because I'm entering a sales cycle. It's very different than, you know, in our old, in our old world yeah. of ad tech where like landing on a page, I don't, you know, maybe I don't assume I'm going to get an ad for that thing. So it's, it's different. Let me, let me ask you a really weird question. And and I'll use stuff that everyone can understand. Uh, and like, think Siri and Alexa. Oh shit! My whole house is gonna go nuts. <laughs> Literally, all these things just lit up in my house. But think those two, right? Those two bots. Um, do you guys perceive? I'm sure you've interacted with both. Do you guys perceive like personality differences between the two? Do you enjoy talking to one more than the other? Because I certainly do. I don't want to sway you towards which one. But I can't stand one of them, and I really like the other one. Uh, what are, what are, like? Do you guys pick up on some quirks and personality differences? Well, I, I don't mean like use they a... do what you want them to do. I mean how they handle conversation with you. So this this is funny because um I so I honestly I don't love either of them, but I use A L E X A more than I yeah. use. Yeah. SIRI. I'm just saying it so things don't light up because it annoys yeah, yeah, me yeah. Um, to hear the little like sound. Um, I once changed um, SIRI to a male voice and I instantly was like, oh no, like I can't, like I it you guys edit this, right? I was like, I can't take this shit from a man. Like yeah, it's yeah. better enough than it's Siri. Yeah. No, that's right. That, you're good. You're good. I also don't, don't like it to when edit voices out the are male. Shit. I don't. That's probably, I got to go see my therapist about that. But I don't like talking to male voice <laughs> bots. It, I just, it, I don't like it. What if, what if you change it? What if you change it? What if you change it to the male Australian or British accent? Does that change? I mean, that's a serious question. Actually, Yeah. On the, on the Apple bot on my phone, I have an Australian accented uh, woman, a woman voice, female voice, I guess. Um, it, it, I don't care. Like it doesn't change anything. I just did it just to be quirky on the Amazon one. It's just a standard classic, you know, Amazon voice, but I actually do think the Amazon bot has a gentler yes. personality than the Apple bot. I think yes, the Apple bot I, is I, curt, more curt and a little bit like a little like, <laughs> like I, and, and I don't like interacting with it because I don't like its personality. I also think none of these bots. Yeah, a little condescending. She's condescending and a little bit pretentious. And I, I also think this is a really important piece about like accessibility and inclusivity. None of these bots make me feel like I'm talking to someone like that I would hang out with at all um, uh, or, or make me feel like this is I don't, I don't, I, I'm not an expert, man, but like. God, I would love it if one of these bots just sounded like somebody that I grew up with or just made me feel comfortable with a certain type of a way, a cadence of talking to me that is not like white Western normative because I don't I don't I don't want to talk that way in my house all night long at that 3 a.m. to turn off my lights. Right? Like, just don't want to. But that, that doesn't exist. It's othery. It I, I, othery. The last person I talked to at night is a computer that just sounds foreign to me. I could put it Australian or American. It doesn't matter. It's not somebody that in my regular course of life I would talk to late in the evening for any reason. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just being like sci-fi about it, but I can't stand the uh, uh, Apple bot. I just think it's got a shit. No, that could help all of those things. Yeah. I think all of those things could help us feel different about these experiences. Probably. Mm -hmm.
Do you think more people would start having weird like feelings for their bots if they this were is, uh, more right. human, though? We have a mutual friend, Emilio Vasquez Reina, who who is now a Google engineer. Um, and I've worked with him at two companies. And he says that he looks forward to the day when he can drive home in his autonomous vehicle that's driving it for him and have a therapy session with a bot. He actually believes that bots are going to be able to provide conversations and therapy, and he actively looks forward to this. So there are people out there that want this. Therapy from a bot. He wants it. We are a lot. I mean, I'm literally like, how old is he? Like, does he expect that to happen during our lifetime? Yeah, but if you look at like the like. He doesn't have a temporal expectation on it, I don't think. Yeah, (laughs) but but, but, you know, what's interesting is like the stakes seem really high when you say therapy bot. But like, man, there's like robots out there performing surgery right now, right? Right now. Like, I feel like the stakes are pretty high there, right? Like, I know that like the Da Vinci system is sort of like doctor assisted, but it does a lot of things on its own, like on your body. Um, And so. I don't know, man. I I, I definitely don't like, I like anthropomorphizing. But I do think there's a difference between like anthropomorphizing a bot all to the point where I can't tell that it's a bot and creating a culturally inclusive bot. Those are different things to me. Now, creating a culturally inclusive bot is on yeah. the spectrum of making it more human, sure. But I don't think that that's what you're actually trying to achieve. What I what I, what I would argue is what needs to be achievable is like having a culturally relevant bot and whatever that culture can be. Like, I don't think Alexa engages what, shit, I said it. it. Literally all these screens just lit up. I don't think Amazon's bot interacts well with children, for example. Like children, it's just not the right dynamic to talk to. A, a, not, and I don't just mean a little child. I mean a 15-year-old. Like there's no, they can't talk. They don't, they don't interact the same way. So it just becomes very much a, like, one way, like directional conversation. Hey, do this. Hey, do that. Hey, do this. If you want to go to the separate, like to, to the next level of conversation, which is like a dialogue, to dialogue oh, with people, you oh, got to no. meet them where they are. <laughs> we so well. uh, uh, he's, back. he's back. Oh, did I go away? I'm so annoyed. I hate this. Just for two seconds. Uh, just for two seconds. No, no, just for two seconds. Every, every <laughs> time I get my. Well, this is a good time for our last, the last. This is a good time for our last topic, but I definitely want to touch on Halloween. So, so <laughs> Serena, you love Halloween, have crazy Halloween parties, dress in crazy costumes. What what do you love about Halloween so much? Where did that come from? And, you know, just are you able to keep it going with your uh, current situation? I am absolutely planning on keeping it going. I am trying to consider, like, how... I'm trying to embrace everything that's different about like now it's not, you know, a party where I live in the city and everyone, I tell everyone to come over at 10 o'clock. So it's like, how am I going to adapt to like the further, whatever. Why? I don't know. I think I just love, it's such a fun way to express creativity. Yeah. Um, And I just like things that are like a little bit messed up. And so like Halloween gives you like the perfect platform to like, like I had this one, Pedro, it was, um, I made like a, like every year I've started doing a theme or for the last few years. And I did one with, with children's toys. So like I set up my whole living room as like a nursery and I bought all these baby dolls on eBay and I painted them all gray and I painted their eyes black. Oh my God. Um, And I had like these zombies. It was just basically like a crazy nursery. I did like messed up kid art with my left hand. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
in, adi- in addition to this interest, Pedro, Zarina is also a really good artist. So it actually makes it it's it's even more. Well, you're gonna have to send us. Intense. You're gonna have to send us Halloween it's photos it. in the group chat. I want to see these dolls. So I'm sure they're on your phone. Ask uh ask your little bot to find it for you, and let's let's put it in the chat group because I want to see these. I love Halloween too, by the way. Careful, I'm careful what you wish. I want to see them. I love Halloween too. See I find you? it to be the most creative holiday, which is what I think you're. I hear you saying. I totally exactly. agree. You can really go bananas and do all sorts of things. I mean, I. I think, you know, there's only so much I can do on Thanksgiving with my creative impulses, right? But, like, I think Halloween, <laughs> Halloween's pretty exactly. solid. The, 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 Halloween, the Halloween holiday, I think, it reinvents itself when you have kids I believe that. that are, you know, as, as your daughter grows up, Zarina, like, working on the costumes with them, like, you know, seeing their excitement around the creativity, to your point, Pedro, what can I be? What what can I um, get into in, in Halloween? And obviously they love candy, but like the creativity aspect and the decorating your house and, and all that. Um, it's it's cool to see it through their eyes. You know, it's like reinvents it for you. It's nice. I'm excited for that. Yeah. But I also am like, it's my holiday. <laughs> I still want to have like, my fun with it, too. I know we're done here. What's, Zarina, what's I, did, I did want to say I love your wallpaper. As you can tell, I'm a big fan of uh, having my own sort of like Thank vibrant you. wallpaper. And um and I'm, I've been staring at that thing on your wall the whole day. It's really beautiful. I like it very much. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was just here. The sellers like had it up, and I just I loved it. Yeah, so I I'm kept digging it. it. And I'm I've got it. my Phoebe portraits. Digging it. Thanks for hanging out with us. <laughs> well, yeah. Thanks for coming. I'm glad we glad we made it work this time. 